This is the talk of the town. From Morgantown to Clarksburg, if it's happening, we're talking about it. Call the show toll-free at 1-800-765-8255. Now, here is your host for the talk of the town, Dave Wilson. Good morning. Welcome into the program. It is Talk of the Town. Hope your day is off to a fine start. 800-765-TALK, 800-765-8255-304-TALK-304. Sorry to chuckle. Producer Ethan on the other side of the glass is telling a very, very dramatic story. And I have no idea what it is, but there are very demonstrative motions going on over there and quite frankly it's a little bit distracting i can't well actually you know what i'm not that interested i was gonna say i can't wait to find out what it is but uh you know what not really that interested although arms are there's some flailing if there was a picture of giving them the business that's what ethan's doing right now he's giving kyle the business I don't know what Kyle did to deserve that. Uh, good point to digress. 800-765-TALK is the phone number. 304-TALK-304 is the text line. Jeff Jenkins uh, going to stop by bottom of the hour. Just an absolute... All right, I find it fascinating, and that may not be the best word to describe it, but it's a fascinating story out of Taylor County this week. A uh, convicted murderer, Donald Taylor, who had escaped once, uh, walked out of the Taylor County Courthouse or ran out of it. And it, he was found. He's back in custody, and now he's going to face a laundry list of charges. But Jeff was but a young pup reporter back in the day here in Morgantown for WAJR when uh, Donald Taylor was involved in that murder, committed that murder. I should say. And, well, Jeff's going to give us, Jeff is going to do his best Paul Harvey today and tell us the rest of the story. He'll join us bottom of the hour. And an issue that just will not, will not resolve in Morgantown. Last night at Morgantown City Council, members of the Morgantown Fire, uh, Fire Department, professional firefighters again in front of City Council raising concerns over compensation, over morale, over a perceived indifference from city administration. I will share some of the sound bites from that meeting last night, from that public uh, public hearing with you, as well as uh, offer a couple of thoughts on the situation. We keep talking about it. We keep talking about the same problems and the same self-inflicted problems in Morgantown. Over and over and over. We'll do it again today. That's coming up here in just a little bit. But first, yesterday, WAJR news reporter, news anchor, news guru, whatever you want to call him, uh, Mike Nolting reached out to the Mountain Line Transit Authority uh, to ask a very pertinent question. Now that the federal judge has vacated the CDC's mask mandate on public transportation, where does Mountain Line fit into this? Because if you recall, Mountain Line was ahead of the curve 
when it came to mask mandates on buses and mask mandates on public transportation. So Mike reached out yesterday to uh, General Manager Dave Bruffy, and Bruffy explained that despite a ruling that ended the face covering for public transportation, if you're going to ride the mountain line bus for now, you still have to mask up. Uh, Dave Bruffy says it's because of local policy, just like the you know shirt and shoes requirement that can only be changed by the mountain line board of directors. And Bruffy says it was local policy before it was mandated by the CDC. That requirement in place before TSA and CDC did. So it's a motion by the board that they will have to rescind if they want to roll that face cover requirement back. The board will meet coming up on Friday at noon to review the policy. And the meeting will include a public comment period, says Bruffy. I'd encourage anyone that wants to participate in that, um, you know, to listen to the board's debate and discussion to to dial in and, and join in if you care to do so. Uh, Bruffy continued, as with any organization, uh, anyone who wants to participate can dial in. And uh, Mountain Line has consulted with local health officials on pandemic policy. They have done that since the beginning, just like the county commission has, uh, just like the um, Board of Education has. And Bruffy continued, they are continuing to consult with the health department. The health department echoed the sentiment that the CDC and TSA are still recommending public transportation require or passengers use face coverings. And finally, Bruffy says that uh, there are some things that people should consider if they're going to be riding public transportation. A couple of things that everyone still needs to consider is that although a federal court ruled that the CDC and TSA couldn't require those face covers, they're still recommending them. So... To recap, if you're going to be riding the mountain line buses in the immediate future, uh, for right now, face coverings are still required despite the uh, federal judge's ruling this week concerning the CDC's mandate. Mountain line has its own policy in effect, and there will be a meeting uh, with the Mountain Line Transit Authority's Board of Directors on Friday at noon to reconsider the policy. There will be a public comment period included that's your update there coming up um you can get more headlines by the way uh, on any number of stories over at the website wvmetronews.com is where to get more information coming up uh jeff jenkins joins us bottom of the hour we'll get the rest of the story with the donald taylor escape this week plus some thoughts coming out of morgantown city council's meeting last night as firefighters again are addressing concerns, and they're the same concerns and the same issues we've heard before. We'll do that coming up. In just a moment, we'll talk to one of the Democrats running for the party's nomination in the House of Delegates' 71st District in Harrison County. Justin Long will join us here on Talk of the Town. It's 9-13, it's the middle of the week, and we're up and running. We're back after this. Now back to the talk of the town. Early voting in the primary election begins one week from today. 
voters will head to the polls and uh, pick their nominees, except for Board of Education. That Remember, judges and Board of Education, these are the, uh, these are the races coming up um, with early voting starting a week from today, Election Day, May 10th. Running for the Democrat Party's nomination in the House of Delegates 71st District in Harrison County. Joining us on the program is Justin Long. Good morning, Justin. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Thanks for taking some time. Justin, uh, just give us a little bit of background about who you are. Uh, well, I uh, moved to Stonewood, West Virginia uh, about 14 years ago now. I have uh, my bachelor in science degree, and I uh, started out at WVU, and uh, due to the cost of the out-of-state tuition, I transferred back over to California University of Pennsylvania, where I graduated, and uh, I moved back to West Virginia, and this is where I call home. Stenwood has been uh, very responsive to me, and I love the community. And I've met a lot of great people, and uh, that's where I'm at right now. Justin, you've you've run before in the primary. You're running again. What has drawn you to get involved and run for a seat in the House of Delegates? Well, I've uh, I worked for the last few years. Um, we've always had the opportunity to talk to voters, and we did that in 2020. And uh, before that, what really sparked my interest was in 2013, um, a bunch of us went down in Charleston and we stood for the ENDA Act, which is the Employment Housing Non-Discrimination Act. And uh, that kind of sparked my interest and we continued to move forward with that. And I am not a career politician and I don't take corporate PAC money. I'm not for sale. I live paycheck to paycheck like most people in this area, and uh, I have to work full time, and I can hardly get by. And I've been talking to voters, and we share that struggle. We're feeling the pain of everything that uh, I have on my platform with the cost of inflation, excuse me, health care, and just the cost of living in general with the bills and you know, everything that comes along with that gas. And uh, we've been out there talking to voters, and uh, there was a lot of uh, actually Republicans that were trying to change their parties. They uh, saw my name and uh, said that they wanted to vote for somebody new, and uh, that's kind of what we're running on, somebody that uh, can feel that pain and go down and have a voice for all people in Charleston. So that's really what we're focused on. Talking to Justin Lung, he's running for the Democrat Party's nomination in Harrison County's 71st District for the uh, House of Delegates. Justin, I was scrolling through your Facebook page, and one of the first things that uh, jumped out to me was Justin Lung for West Virginia, and then it was People First. Describe what that means, People First. Uh, People First means that we are talking to the people and uh, we have a platform written for and by the people. And what I mean by that is that platform includes everybody. We took uh, feedback from Republicans, independents, Democrats, no party, people that haven't even voted before, and uh, sparked our interest. And 
talk to them about the issues that are going on in our district. So we started, we're a grassroots movement, and uh, we got people motivated. And uh, a lot of people just said, why are you doing this? Uh, you know, they gave up on the system a long time ago because they feel like they just can't get ahead. And uh, I said, that's what I mean by people first. It's time for somebody to be sent to Charleston to focus on our challenges that we are facing. Well, what are folks telling you are the challenges and and what do they want out of a lawmaker? Well, uh, we're hearing a lot uh, out there on the campaign trail, of course, about our roads. Um, And uh, we are also talking about empowering our seniors, uh, inflation, health care, and raise revenue and uh, we have a lot of stuff up on our website but uh, the main concerns that we are seeing is the roads health care inflation and of course the drug epidemic that is ravaging our area yeah we've heard a lot about uh, obviously the drug epidemic uh, not just recently but it's been years building and it's no end in sight there, Justin. But what can you do as a legislator or what can the legislature do to help get a rain, you know, rain in this problem a little bit and start to make some headway? For the um, for the drug epidemic? Yeah. Drug problem. Yeah. OK. Uh, yeah. For our drug problem, I think we do need more recovery programs in West Virginia, and I think they need to be more long-term, and uh, we need to make sure that people are listening and not stigmatizing people. I have witnessed too many families. I worked as a case manager and traveled over the entire state of West Virginia, and uh, I have went into homes, and I've seen these struggles firsthand. And, uh, you know, it's people stigmatize addiction and think it's just a certain type of people. And, and it ranges from everybody. And where I talked to the voters, it started with the big pharmaceutical companies, which I, you know, we are taking on that as well. You know, the current lawsuit that uh, just went on yesterday. Um, but that's our main focus and uh we really need to get people into treatment and stop the stigmatizing of people because it doesn't matter addiction doesn't matter what party you belong to and i firsthand have lost four people that i know from high school and college to drug overdoses and I see what it's doing to our families and grandparents having to raise their children. And, you know, I'll be 34 in September, and I am going to funeral homes for people in their 20s and 30s. And it's just something that we really need to focus on and change and get more recovery and counseling here in West Virginia, because too many people are going out of state to get the help that they need. So we really need to focus on that here in our district. Talking to Justin Lung this morning, he's one of the Democrats, one of two Democrats running for the party's nomination in Harrison County's 71st House of Delegates District. 
Justin, West Virginia is running a major budget surplus. There is hundreds of millions in federal dollars that are coming to West Virginia or have already come into West Virginia. If uh, you could wave the magic wand, how would you like to see those dollars spent? Well, if I could do that, I would definitely like that to go towards fixing our roads and our education system. That is our top priorities. Um, I would shift that decision-making back to the political appointees in Charleston and the engineers and local leaders. I think that our uh, funding formula needs updated with more maintenance and more state middle-class union workers doing the work. Over the last decade, um, we've seen the wages and the jobs really get cut and shifted. More work to less uh, costlier contractors. And uh, I think we need to start a state-level office with public transportation and coordinate with the state on those efforts. And uh, you did talk about, uh, you know, the surplus that we're seeing. Um, but if that wasn't there, I do support uh, a penny wealth tax for those that have assets for uh, more than $2 million because I don't think that it's fair for so many of us low-income people to be paying more taxes than those uh, that are much more wealthier than us. Got about a minute left here, uh, Justin. So why should voters who head to the polls in the 71st District uh, select Justin Long for House of Delegates, or at least for the Democratic nomination for House of Delegates? Uh, Well, our uh, thing is people, not politics, a breath of fresh air. I am not for sale. I don't take corporate PAC money. And I always said from day one that it takes all of us to take on the system. One person, like myself, cannot fix everything. But we can work together and be that loudest voice fighting for what you tell me you need and want. Because at the end of the day, this isn't just about me. It's about all of us. And I will work with any party out there. I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, defund the police and anti-guns. I stand with our police and our gun owners, and I have guns in my house. So I don't want anyone to get that wrong perspective out there. And we're also uh, talking about the foster care system. So you can see all that on our Facebook page at Vote Justin Lung. And you can go to WV can'twait.com slash justin-lung, L-U-N-G, and you can see our full platform there. He's Justin Lung, one of the Democrats running for the party's nomination in the House of Delegates, 71st District in Harrison County. Justin, I appreciate the time this morning. Best of luck on the campaign trail. Thank you for giving us time to discuss the issues today. And if you're out and about, we're having a meet and greet at the Bridgeport Civic Center at 6 p.m. tonight, and I hope to see people there. All right. Justin, thank you very much. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. You have a good day. You as well. Uh, We have reached out to the other Democrat in the race, Rob Garcia, just trying to nail down a day. Uh, Rob was unavailable this week. We will nail down a day. Uh, Also, on the Republican side in Harrison County's 71st District, Ben Hanlon and Laura Kimball, we have have them both next week. I believe so. I I have to check the calendar. I think we have them both next week. Tomorrow on the program, we'll talk to Debbie Warner and Drew Talbot, Republicans running in Montague County's 82nd House of Delegates District. Lots to do. 
Jeff Jenkins will join me with the rest of the story. That's coming up. Right now it's 9.30. Let's get a news update. Check in with the Metro News Anchor Desk. We're talking about your town. Now back to the talk of the town. 800-765-8255 is the phone number. 304-TALK-304 is the text line. Trying to connect with Jeff Jenkins. I heard him during the break. I don't know if he can hear me or not. It's always key to be able to hear both sides of the conversation there. Um, I hear him rustling around. Jeffrey, are you there? All right. Hey, Jeff. How you doing, buddy? Well, how you doing? I'm doing a lot better now. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Well, you know, technology sometimes, you're never sure. You're never sure. But we're connected now, and uh, nobody cares about our technical problems. So, all right, so let me set the scene, as they say. Uh, down in Taylor County this past, or during this week, Donald Taylor was being transported to the Taylor County Courthouse for an arraignment. He slipped away, just walked out of the courthouse, apparently, but... There's a lot more story to this because he was convicted of murder. It happened in Montegalia County back in 89. Yeah. Uh, you were but a young pup reporter at the time, I do believe, up here at uh, WAJR, if I'm not mistaken. You're right. <laughs> so, all right, just I, the whole story fascinates me. Uh, it sounds like something that, you know, you would hear on a true crime podcast or something. So just, just start at the beginning and... Tell me the rest of the story when it comes to Donald Taylor. Okay, so Donald Lee Taylor uh, was an, an inmate in the uh, Prentytown Correctional Facility back in 1989. And at that time, it you know is a little different facility than it is now. But he was there after a conviction on grand larceny, and he escaped from there in 1989. And he found his way to Morgantown. Uh, so in April 1989, he murdered Malcolm Davies. Malcolm Davies was a pretty well-known local resident. Uh, he lived in Marjorie Gardens, and uh, they had had an encounter, uh, if I remember the facts of the case right, in downtown, in downtown Morgantown, maybe at a bar, and they, and they ended up back at Davies' uh, residence. Uh, and, uh, and Taylor uh, stabbed him killed him. Uh, uh, Davies was found dead on the floor of his apartment. Um, and then they, they caught up with Taylor. They charged him with murder. Uh, he went on trial in, in Montague County. And this tells you a little bit about how different the crime docket was in that time. He was charged in April, Dave, and he was on trial by December. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so like less than eight months or right around eight months later, he was on trial. And so a a Montague County jury convicted him of murder with mercy. Uh, I think he had, you know, he had made some claims that, uh, uh, you know, that that it, that it wasn't. I guess the jury found that it wasn't premeditated, and and you know, it was whatever it was. Well, it was premeditated, but they did find mercy. Okay. All right. Okay. So, okay. and at that time, the uh, conviction of first degree murder with mercy was 10 years. You would have a chance for parole in 10 years. Right now, it's 15 years mm-hmm. now, but back in 1989, it was 10 years. And he was also convicted on a recidivism charge, which means he was like a career criminal okay. or had been convicted of other things at the time. Uh, so he was given five years. And so the judge uh, 
found uh, that those things be cons- served consecutively. Uh, so we end up, as far as the records that I have go, and I look back at this the last couple of days, he served uh, time in prison until about 2013 when he was granted parole in 2013. Uh, and under a special condition that he wear an electronic monitoring device uh, and several other conditions. Well, within a year, he had violated those conditions. So, uh, so he was violated parole, put back in, put back in prison. But since then, there's, they've given him parole a couple more times. Uh, and the last time was in April 2019. And so he was given parole in April 2019. Uh, and then he was found to have violated that parole. And the way he had violated that parole is, is according to prosecutors, alleging that this past March, he showed up at the Western Regional Jail in Barbersville uh, and he tried to um, bail out, bond out his girlfriend. And when he got there, uh, they searched him <laughs> and he had drugs on him, what? drug paraphernalia. So, and then they looked up and, oh, this guy's supposed to be on parole. Or they were, they were, actually they had been, authorities had kind of been looking for him because they know he absconded from the ankle bracelet again. And so they were, you know, they were, they were looking for him. Um, and, uh, and then he pops up right uh-huh. at the Western regional jail. Uh, and so he was put in the Western regional jail. So they brought him and that, that escape charge came out of Taylor County. And so, uh, they brought him back to Taylor County on Monday, uh, transported by those in the Western regional jail, transported him. And I guess because according to Taylor County prosecutor, John board, those leg shackles, he would have on leg shackles, but those belonged to the Western Regional Jail, so they took their leg shackles back. And when they dropped him off, they took their leg shackles, so he was handcuffed with his hands in front of him, but no leg shackles. Um, and he was, it was arraignment day in Taylor County after mm-hmm. some recent indictments. I think they had their indictments last week. And so he was there. A couple other inmates uh, from around were there and, and other people getting arraigned after being indicted on charges. And they had a bathroom break, and he was able to slip out of the courthouse on a bathroom break. So, then, so I, the thing that popped into me, he escaped from Taylor County, and I'm not talking about violating his parole, which he had done a couple other times, but really kind of escaped yeah. from custody, like you know, for a second time in 33 years, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, had done so, and so they. Uh, so he was on the loose. That was about 1230 on Monday at about 1 a.m. The Division of Corrections, K-9 unit, Grafton Police, Taylor County Sheriff's deputies, they got a hit on the K-9 unit from the DOC and found him underneath a tarp in Grafton on West Washington Street. As John Board said, it was a cold night. Yeah. Um, and so they found him underneath the tarp. I think he'd gone maybe to a friend's house, but the friend wasn't so much of a, I mean, the friend reported him. Well, yeah. And so he took off from there and he was underneath a tarp when they found him. And so he was arraigned yesterday uh, afternoon on an escape charge, not in person, by the way, he was arraigned on a on video from the Tiger Valley regional jail. Uh, and so, so he faces those two escape charges. Now the escape charge that they had, that he had been indicted on earlier uh, for the most recent 
you know, not following his uh, parole uh, requirements, and then this new escape charge. So there, there you have it. Long and <laughs> long and sorted past. But that was a, you know, back in those days, you didn't, you didn't really have. I mean, there weren't like a ton of murders, right? right. You know, and uh, and um, that was a big case. You know, at, at that time, we remember we covered the trial on WAJR, and and uh, did you go to the scene? I mean, did you were you on call that when it when the murder happened? Were I was you actually, working. I was actually on the desk. Uh-huh. Hoppy went out there. Uh, oh, of and course. Hoppy, Hoppy, of course. yeah, Hoppy. It was in the afternoon, I think, when they found Mr. Davies' body, if I remember. Uh, and so I was on the desk, yeah, because I was working like afternoon shift then. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would have been on the desk. So I was on the desk, and then we'd heard on the scanner, of course, days before social media or anything like that. Oh yeah, and or the internet even. And so, um, so Hoppy went out there, and and yeah, they had found Mr. Davies. I think he had been. Hadn't shown up, hadn't been around for a couple of days, and maybe some people were. But I think what happened, as I remember it, is that that his his door of his apartment was partially open, and a neighbor who was a friend was checking on him because they hadn't seen him. And he knocked on the door, knocked on the door, uh, even though it was partially open. He went in and he found him. Huh. Crazy. Do you? I mean, amazing. These names from thirty was that? That's thirty three years ago. Thirty three years. Yeah. 30. Amazing. These names creep up three decades later and go, oh, yeah, I remember covering that case. Well, I kind of remember the name, you know, when I saw that name that he had escaped, and I thought, that name sounds familiar. (laughs) And so, yeah, researched it, and, yeah, that is, that's that's him. That's him. And so, yeah, so now he'll, you know, face these charges. And, you know, he still has that pending life in prison, you know, conviction. So I, I would think it would be very difficult for him to get out of get out again. You would you would imagine at this point. Yeah. And that and uh how how and uh how Paul Harvey would end it. And now you know the rest of the story. Yeah. And he has filed <laughs> he has filed like I look back, I mean he has been uh he's filed a lot of court stuff. And a lot of, a lot of inmates do that. Yeah. You know, they file yeah. a lot of court stuff and habeas stuff and all that. Well, and, they have time on their hands. Yeah. So. so he has done a lot of that over the years mm. and been, you know, had hearings and represented himself and a lot of these things. So, yep, there you have it. Jeff, thanks for the trip down memory lane. Yeah. And uh, just thanks. it's just a crazy story once you start putting all the pieces uh, together. Appreciate yeah. it, Jeff. Yeah. Okay. All right, buddy. See you. Jeff Jenkins. Of course, Hoppy was at the scene. That doesn't surprise me at all. 945, same problems, different day in Morgantown. We'll talk about it next. Join the conversation at 1-800-765-8255. This is the Talk of the Town. Last night, Morgantown City Council holding its regular meeting and members of the Morgantown Fire Department, professional firefighters, addressed City Council over concerns about pay, benefits, and the relationship with city administration. Tell me where you've heard this story before. President of the International Association of Firefighters Local 313, Mitchell Bell, was addressing the City Council and brought up, again, a number of issues Last night, including employment benefit packages that continue, as Bell says, to shrink. I know when I had something the day before and you take it away, 
and you say you're getting a great deal, I think that's a really hard pill for all of us to swallow. He says that uh, there is at least a perceived indifference coming from the city administration when they have reached out to city manager Kim Halls. He didn't recognize us as a union. I represent Mitchell Bell personally, not a union, because we don't have a contract with the city. And that's, that's really frustrating to hear and sad because I think the council obviously recognizes us. And he gave an example of a problem with payroll that, uh, well, had negative results. A gentleman was shorted $277 on his paycheck a week ago and reach out, no response, and now that individual turned in his two-week notice. A paramedic that's provided service to the city and saved lives in the city. Captain Gary Freshour uh, also or addressed city council and said holiday pay continues to be an issue. If you correct the holiday issue, there's no harm, no foul. But if guys continue to get shorter paychecks than they deserve, that's devilish. Um, former mayor, current city councilman Bill Kuecki, uh, thanked the firefighters for the service and uh, told them that we'll eventually get there. We will eventually end up being and continue to be an employer of choice. And I hope that offers some sort of uh, momentum to how we might proceed. Actually, no, it doesn't provide any momentum. This has been going on for years years with the fire department in particular but it's not just limited to the fire department morale is low frustrations high in several departments police department is one of them there are other city departments ask them now will they go on record no and i understand why but ask them Specifically, firefighters, we have been talking about this for how long? There have been lawsuits, wrangling over compensation, changes to overtime, changes to holiday compensation. Firefighters do not have collective bargaining with the city, but yet they do have some representation there with the International Firefighters Association, Local 313. How is this a problem that continues to simmer in this city? How can city council continue to hear complaints of complete indifference or perceived indifference coming from city administration, in particular the city manager, who's changed out over the last couple of years? This problem's maybe I'm oversimplifying the problem. Maybe I'm oversimplifying the solution. Because it seems to me, rather than sit there and take big, deep breaths and go, well, maybe it gives us some momentum, somebody on that city council, preferably the mayor, should have turned to the city manager and said, come up with a plan to fix this by our next meeting. Instead, eh, well, we really appreciate you. Actions matter more than words. But we never see any action in this city. It's the same issues over and over and over. And there is so much untapped potential here. That's the real frustration is there is so much untapped potential in the city of Morgantown. There are advantages here that are no place else in the state. And it seems like the city cannot get out of its own way. How can the city be expected to 
tackle economic development, economic redevelopment, increase the tax base, take on social issues when you can't even handle your own house. I am tired of having to hear about this, as I am sure you are too. Fix the problem. Back to wrap it up in a moment. Now back to the talk of the town. Let me squeeze in a text or two before we make way for Hoppy Kirchville and Metro News Talk Line. 304 Talk, 304 Dave is someone who used to work for the city for a couple of decades. Let me say the firefighters are 100% correct. But it's not just in the fire department. Morale is at an all-time low citywide. The number of quality employees that we have left that have left in the last year or so is shocking. Shame on city council for allowing the two city managers to decimate the workforce It's time for council to recognize this management duo is not a good fit here and find some quality replacements. 304 Talk, 304 Dave. The problem with the city administration is they're all transplants and there is no loyalty to the city or the citizens. I think a little bit earlier I misspoke and said uh, Drew Talbot and Debbie Warner would be on the show tomorrow. They will be on the show Friday. Uh, two Republicans running in Montague County's 82nd District. Uh, coming up tomorrow, we'll tell you about the Grand Bash. We'll tell you about a town hall that's uh, on tap this weekend as well. Follow the news of the day at WVMetroNews.com. Hoppy Kirchival is next. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. 